So, uh, Pastor Don and Lori uh, on a much-deserved vacation this week, um, and as we stated, Patrick and the youth group um, up visiting the Blakeleys in Indiana uh, and having a good time of fellowship. Um, so we've been studying the life of King David, um, and we'll pick back up with David in Second Samuel when Pastor Don returns. Um, and as of last weekend, we're currently at that point in David's life where uh, he's fleeing Jerusalem, he chose peace, and he stepped down uh, from his, uh, his rightful appointment as king over Israel uh, because his own son, Absalom, has usurped that power. Um, and as we discussed last week, on his way out of town, David stopped at the Mount of Olives, um, and he worshiped the Lord. Now David, uh, chosen by God to replace King Saul, was anointed by Samuel because God saw his heart. And ultimately, that's how God sees each and every one of us, is by our heart. Uh, in the King James Version of the Bible, uh, the word heart's written 725 times in the Old Testament, and again, a hundred, uh, another 105 times in the New Testament. And in Psalms alone, the word heart is used 119 times. Now, through the Psalms, uh, David was able to reveal the importance of having a right heart before the Lord. And I'll read a few of the Psalms uh, for you. So Psalms 51.10, David wrote, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In Psalms 62, uh, 62.8, David wrote, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before God, because God is a refuge for us. And in Psalm 73.26, David wrote, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, I know a lot of you here at Calvary Chapel, uh, and I think it's safe to say that when you're at home, right, you're going to lock your doors and your windows, keep yourself safe. You know, some of you may have a security system. Some of you may even have some firearms, or some of you are crazy enough to have nunchucks or throwing stars, you know, whatever you think it's going to take to keep yourself safe, you guys got it at your house. And at the same time, uh, in taking care of your home, you'll do little things that you need to do to keep it clean, little things daily. And then if you notice a larger mess, you know, normally you'll plan it out and you'll take care of it. And for the really large messes, perhaps you'll invite someone over and ask them to give you a hand. So if we go to that extent to protect and clean a piece of property uh, that's eventually going to be sold or can easily be destroyed, you know, why do we not take the time to secure and purify our hearts with that same diligence. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 states, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And I know I've found that that's very true. Now, the heart of a human being is the place within us where we reason our emotions. And oftentimes, it's the emotions of the heart uh, that lead us, and it's what other people see come forth from us. Now, the heart needs to be guarded because it takes a long time to clean it out. Uh, if you think of a clean glass of water, right, uh, for us, it, it's just simple. It comes out of a faucet. Around the world, for most other people, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to get that clean water. So when you have that clean water and you put a, a single drop of you know, food coloring in it and swirl it up, it doesn't take much to dilute the entire thing. So the things that we allow ourselves to see, 
the things that we allow ourselves to hear, they have a direct bearing on how pure our hearts are. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, when he was delivering God's message to Judah, and this is Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So if the heart, needs to be guard, uh, the heart needs to be guarded because the heart is not just deceitful, it's more deceitful than all else. And we can't trust it because of its natural uh, selfishness, its self-centeredness, and self-protective ways. The heart needs to be guarded because the heart cannot be understood with our own wisdom. And only God can reveal and lay bare our own hearts to us. It's hard to know our own motives or reasons and we're naturally skilled at deceiving ourselves. And uh, as an example, I used to know a guy, it's probably about 15 years now, um, and his wife became a Christian, and she witnessed to him, and he, he didn't want to hear anything about it. Um, you know, and to the husband, she began to be no fun, right? She didn't want to go out, uh, spend, spend her nights out partying anymore. Um, instead, she wanted to uh, read her Bible every day. Um, she wanted to pray, and she was changing. She was allowing the Lord to clean out her heart. And uh, one day she asked her husband, you know, will you read the Bible with me? I just, I just want to read the Bible with you. And the husband became belligerent. He, he screamed at her, and he said, you know, I will never go to church with you. I will never read that stupid Bible with you. And I don't know why you need this crutch. You know, it's great for you, but it's not for me. And I just want things to go back the way they were. So, you know, long story short, the, the wife remained steadfast. Um, and little by little, you know, the husband, you know, flirted with Jesus. He, he gave in and he said, all right, Paul, I'll go to church this one time. Just get her to shut up. You know, and uh, every once in a while he'd pray with her. But little by little, he started to see. And he allowed Jesus into his heart. And little by little... Jesus would clean him out. And now here I stand 20, you know, 15, 20 years later, and I'm not a finished work by any means. But I did put Jesus into my heart, uh, and I keep the things of Jesus in my heart because that's who I want people to know. I don't want them to know the me from, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, so now how do we get our heart purified? How do we uh, allow Jesus into our heart uh, and declutter, you know, the mess that we've put in there. So just as David took time to pray on the Mount of Olives as he, uh, you know, was, was fleeing Jerusalem, the heart's purified and renewed through worship and prayer, uh, the fasting and study of God's word. A corrupt heart, it needs new ideas, values, motives, and beliefs, and there's no better motive, value, or belief than what comes from studying the Bible, from studying God's Word. He has every uh, best interest for you. The heart's also purified by being tested, uh, by God revealing those heap, uh, deeply hidden, uh, underexplored regions of the heart. And not always, but sometimes, one of the reasons that we do go through trials and suffering is because... Uh, God wants to reveal the conditions of our hearts to ourselves. Uh, 
one of the things that I truly love to do is get away and go to the beach. That's probably one of my favorite things to do. Go just stare at the ocean and forget about everything else. Uh, some of you know I was in the Navy. So even on the ship, you know, getting, getting a break at the end of the day, I just, just go and stare at the ocean. Every once in a while you see something new, you know, flying fish come out of the ocean or a sea turtle pop up. And so I'll stare at that ocean and I'll think, man, I, you know, look at that. It's amazing, you know, and you think you know what's going on underneath. But the ocean is only 5 to 10% explored, you know, and just like our heart, you know, who can know actually what is in there until you're tested? Uh, now, when Jesus walked the earth, uh, teaching his disciples, you know, he was often challenged. Uh, he was challenged by Satan in the desert uh, and tempted to sin. He was questioned by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, chief priests, and Roman government. And there was a certain way that the world worked uh, at the time when Jesus walked the earth, and he was expected to conform to it, especially by the Pharisees. Uh, but Jesus knew that keeping God's commandments is what kept the heart pure. So this morning's reading, uh, we're going to read Matthew 15. Um, we're going to walk through verses 1 through 20 together, and we're going to see what Jesus had to say about the heart. So Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. All right. So Matthew 15, then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what when they heard this saying? And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, it does not defile a man. So going back to verse 1, so the Pharisees had come uh, quite a long way to, uh, from Jerusalem to hear Jesus speak. It's about a week's journey from Jer Jerusalem up to the uh, region of Galilee. 
And so they go up there because they're wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. And upon observing Jesus and his disciples, uh, he sees the disciples eating, and they find fault, and they decide to challenge Jesus uh, by asking why he, their teacher, would allow them not to follow the the, uh, uh, traditions of the elders. Now, the Jews, of course, they had the written law, um, but on top of the written law, uh, they had developed quite a few oral traditions, and these oral traditions actually oftentimes would supersede the law. Now, traditions can be a subtle method uh, which can steer our hearts, uh, such that they become sometimes very difficult to discern uh, what God's asked us to do as opposed to what man expects us to do. Um, And this sometimes can lead us to try to, you know, appear holy before men instead of just being holy before God. Now, if those Pharisees were so well studied and they knew their scripture, uh, I believe that they should have kept their focus on what's what's my favorite Old Testament verse. It's uh, Hosea 6, 6, and I'll read it to you. Uh, For God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God's desire for each and every one of us is that we know him. And the more that we know him, you know, the less we're going to want to sin, uh, which means the need for sacrifice is going to be less and less because we desire to be more like God. Now, according to the tradition, there are many things that can make a person unclean. Uh, But this uncleanliness uh, was a ceremonial uncleanliness. If you were ceremonially unclean, it meant you were not allowed to go in and worship in the temple. And so there were many things that could make you ceremonially unclean. If you touched anything that was unclean, you became unclean. If you touched something, uh, if you were touched by anything that was then touched by something that was unclean, you became unclean. So basically you went throughout the day you know, trying to remain unclean. And to the Jews, we Gentiles were unclean. And so if a Gentile walked across a dusty road and he kicked up some dust and then you walked along the same path and that dust got on you, then you were unclean. And of course, we know about Leviticus, there were certain foods that would make you unclean. And so the business of washing your hands before you ate became quite a tradition. And there were certain ways that you had to wash in order to make sure that you were cleansed from all those dusts and impurities. Um, So you had to do this before you touched your food, or else the food uh, that you were eating would become unclean. And then when you ate it, you would become unclean because you're eating unclean food. So they had this ceremony of washing where uh, they would actually hold their hands up like this and they'd dump water on their hands and let it drip down their wrists. They'd flick it off and then they'd put their hands down and they'd pour water over the hands uh, just to make sure that there was no dust, no impurity on their hand before they touched that food, lest when they eat the food it would go into them and then they would be unclean and be unallowed to go worship in in the temple. And so here, these Pharisees who traveled that week to go there Uh, are basically uh, challenging Jesus uh, because the disciples are just grabbing food, grabbing bread and eating it without going through this little ritual. And so this is what Jesus is being challenged on. Your disciples aren't following the traditions, but there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to wash your hands a particular way. And at this point, 
You know, when Jesus was here, he was throwing tradition out the window, trying to get the focus back where it should have been on God. Now, as believers, uh, we also uh, must be cautious with uh, traditions and doctrines of the church. It's also uh, possible that many of these uh, traditions or doctrines that are within the church are a violation uh, of the commandment of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I uh, went to Catholic school through fifth grade, and when I was about seven or eight, my parents uh, got a divorce, uh, and both my parents were very loving. I had a great childhood, um, but we would go to church every Sunday with my mom to Catholic Church, and during a typical Catholic Mass, you know, towards the end of service, uh, everybody is allowed to go up and partake of the Eucharist. So during Mass, uh, my brother, sister, and I, we would go up and we'd partake of the body of Christ, but my mom would stay in the pew and she would kneel because the traditions of the church, the Catholic Church, told her, because of your divorce, you're not allowed to partake in the Eucharist. And it wasn't until many years later that when she petitioned the church through letter, asking for forgiveness, asking if she could again uh, take the Eucharist, that she received a written response allowing her to go and receive the body of Christ. So you see, we're not too far removed from the Pharisees or the Jews who allow tradition to develop to the point uh, where they're a violation of the commandment of God. Um, and I say that because Jesus' command to the disciples at the Last Supper, and this is Luke twenty-two nineteen. Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, note that Jesus didn't put any conditions on that, uh, but the traditions of man do put conditions on that. The traditions of the church can put uh, conditions on that. And it honors Jesus when we remember him, when we break bread together, um, we remember that sacrifice that he made for us so that we could live free from sin in the sight of God. Now, there were often times when Jesus could see into the hearts of men during his time on earth. Um, and in my opinion, at this point in the story, uh, it would appear that maybe he saw into the heart of some of these Pharisees that were challenging him uh, in this conversation. The Pharisees were accusing Jesus of not, and his disciples of not keeping the tradition. And Jesus said, hey, they may be violating the traditions, but you're violating the commandments of God. The traditions of the elders had said that if a, a grown child merely declared some property as a gift to God, then the child did not have to use the property to take care of the elderly parents. So it's very possible that maybe one of those Pharisees was treating his parents in that very manner. So Jesus points out that through their tradition, through this tradition of not having to take care of their parents because they've declared it uh, you know, a, a gift uh, to God, uh, that they're violating the commandment of God. And so he tells him that. He said, you're hypocrites. You've made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. And then Jesus turns to the multitude and he said, listen, look, hear me out. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. And even the disciples didn't understand this. And they tell Jesus, hey, Lord, don't you know that what you said really offended these Pharisees? And it's funny to me that the, you know, the disciples, uh, you know, they, they weren't concerned enough to try to 
pleased the Pharisees by following the traditions, by washing their hands, but they certainly were concerned about offending them you know, and looking bad in front of them. So Jesus responded and he said, look, there's plants that are growing that weren't planted by my heavenly father and they're going to be rooted up. Just like we know about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus said, they're blind leaders of the blind. They're just ignorant. Now notice at this point, Jesus didn't tell his disciples, look, hey, when you hear this stuff, you need to challenge them. Go out and argue with them. He didn't say that. Sometimes you just got to leave things alone. Um, and if you recall, Jesus uh, stated during his time here, he said, look, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So as a Christian, you know, don't debate Jesus with fellow Christians, right? Uh, just guard your heart and speak the truth. God works in every person individually. So if you know Christ's word and you carry that in your heart and you speak the truth, God's the one that will condition the soil. So we're just to be the sower. So Peter turned to the Lord and he said, Lord, please explain this to us. And Jesus told him, he said, look, you don't have to go through a ceremonial washing before you eat food. It, it doesn't defile you. It goes through your body. It just passes through. But everything that you say, everything that you say to someone else, it comes from your heart and it reveals the condition of your heart. And from the, from the heart, out of the mouth, it's what people hear from you. They hear hatred. They hear bitterness. They hear jealousy. And all those things that we express, the lust, desires, those are those things that may be in a chamber of the heart that needs to be cleaned out, that maybe you've become blind to or that you don't want to look at. Now, our teens... Uh, who aren't here today, they know Jesus. Uh, but as they go through school, as they're getting older, they're starting to learn the ways of the world, and they're seeing what the world defines as important. And Stephanie and I will often tell the kids, look, it, I'd rather that you have a heart for Jesus than to be popular or to be beautiful or to have a bunch of money. Um, you know, it, basically, uh, don't want you to be what the world's demanding that you be. Uh, we'd rather you be you know, what God has planned for you. Because when you have a heart for Christ, it flows out of you, and people are going to be more attracted to that than any earthly thing, any earthly attribute uh, that you may gain or that you may have. God's desire is for our hearts. That's how he sees us, and that's how he's going to judge us when we stand before him. So how do we truly guard our heart? Uh, well, if we go back to the reading that we did uh, this morning, Revelation 3, um, Jesus stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. He's not going to force himself on anyone because we've all been given free will. But if you hear his voice, he will come into you and he will dine with you. And when someone dines with you, you get to know each other, right? You have that friend that's with you. And like a good friend... He'll help you clean out those chambers of your heart if you ask him. He'll help you guard those entry points that can corrupt the heart. So this morning, I'd ask you to listen for him so that your heart can reflect him because we're to be his living examples, but we can't do that uh, if Jesus is first not invited in and promoted Lord of your life.
Uh, let me get you to stand. Uh, we'll close with prayer. Father God, uh, that is our desire, Lord, uh, just that you would dine with us, Lord. Uh, Father, that you would teach us your ways, uh, that we would know your ways, Lord, that we would be uh, living examples for you. And Father, I do pray that you would uh, help us when you put the challenges before us, where we meet people, Lord, who may not know you, where we meet those people, Lord, that may want to uh, challenge us and debate us, uh, Lord, in doctrines. Father, just pray that the words that come from us would uh, be from you, Father. And Lord, we just uh, just ask for those opportunities, Lord. Help us to uh, further your kingdom, Lord, uh, and sow your seed. Uh, Father, we ask this of you in Jesus' name. Amen.